Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Well, today we're going to talk about opportunities, challenges, and solutions related to environmental issues. I know it's a sexy subject, right? So hold on to your chair or your steering wheel. You know, it is a big subject. And, you know, there are some investors that actually seek out properties to invest in that may have some environmental challenges. Uh, so there's certainly opportunities to be more profitable in the business, no matter what uh, section or, or what aspect of the business you're in. So so we brought together some industry icons today here in uh, Studio One. Uh, first, uh, please welcome Adam Sawatsky, partner with King & Spalding. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. And also Jason Linscott, principal with Stein investment group. Jason, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Michael. And Robert Bronner, principal with One Consulting Group. Robert, thanks for coming back on the show with us. It's good to be back, Michael. Thank we, you. We must not hurt your feelings last time, right? Uh, not too bad. You're back. <laughs> you know, and, and first of all, you know, environmental is a sexy subject, right? I mean, everybody's interested in it, or they should be, right? I mean, it can be a very important part of commercial real estate, isn't it? Absolutely, Michael. Um, it doesn't sell a lot of bikinis, but at the end of the day, uh, environmental risk, it, it, it's a major factor within a real estate transaction. Mm -hmm. um, as a consultant and, and in our practice, it's my job uh, not to green light or, or tell you to do a deal or not. It's to give you all the, the information regarding the environmental risk concerning your transaction so you can make an educated decision on purchase price, um, structuring how the deal goes down. Uh, I think there's a lot of variables and, uh, you know, within a transaction that and, and the environmental risk associated with it. Yeah, I think that's important. I remember I've been in business 30 years and 30 years ago, somebody said, well, there's an environmental issue. It's done. No, nope, you know, we're not buying it. We're done. Uh, you know, but uh, today I think people understand it a little more and, and then get f folks like you guys involved in, and understand what they have and deal with it and, uh, you know, maybe have some opportunities. I think the opportunities um, are, are really what's exciting about this area. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it is about managing risk, as Robert mm -hmm. said, uh, but it is also, it opens new doors. So if you have a Brownfields program you can get into, you can make more money uh, by managing those risks, um, assuming you can also manage the downside. Right. And Jason, you've run into this before, haven't you, as a, an investor, a property owner, and developer? Yeah, I don't know if we've, we've run into it or it keeps running into us. We just <laughs> yeah. it sort of it sort of tags along with us whenever we, right. you know, you find sites that, um, particularly if you want to be in urban areas, that that have history because they're you know they've had uses on them for 50 years, 60 years. Um, these aren't trees out in the suburban areas that haven't had uses. So you know. You, you have to be prepared uh, to understand it so that you can capitalize on, on an opportunity. So um, it's not just about doing a phase one, uh, having a guy come out and look around and make sure there's nothing there. Um, it's about understanding the, the, the depth of the process after that. Um, and then, as Adam mentioned, knowing what tools you have to take advantage of, because um, there's a lot of tools available now, brownfield programs and, and, and all kinds of remediation programs, tax benefits um, to use to your advantage when you want to buy real estate. Right. And the development of the future uh, is going to be in these major cities, in these big cities, these urban areas. And uh, it's going to be hard not to have some sort of environmental issue, right? I mean, are you going to go in Manhattan or in the middle of downtown Atlanta and drill down the water table and think that that's going to be always great to drink? 
I mean, that's not good. It's going right. to be rare, isn't it? I think <laughs> most municipalities and urban areas have come to realize that there's going to be some impact from human use and operation of these properties. Yeah. The, the biggest thing to me is uh, in, in the transactional cycle is understanding my client's risk tolerance. If my client's incredibly risk averse, then we're going to be thinking about groundwater withdrawal as an mm -hmm. issue, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, it, what happens in 20 to 40 years when uh, we're no longer able to use the rivers uh, and surface water withdrawal and we have to actually go to groundwater, mm -hmm. you know, you're looking at a potential utility cost. So you just predicted the future for us, right? A little bit, so. a little bit, <laughs> but a potential utility cost, you know, to uh, yeah. the, the, the use of that groundwater. If it's yeah. contaminated, you're probably not going to be able to withdraw it and use it within your property. Now we're going to get in some great strategies and, and, and get in some real maybe uh, more complex issues to help folks with, with commercial real estate issues and environmental. But to get us started, uh, tell us basically what a phase one is and how and what you do there and how long it takes. So. Certainly. Uh, you know, the short answer to that is the phase one environmental site assessment is driven by the commercial lending industry and it is a record search and review and some mm -hmm. site work that determines whether there's the potential that that piece of property or that parcel proper is impacted with petroleum hydrocarbons or hazardous substances. Mm -hmm. And there's a long list of hazardous substances, but at the end of the day, you know, in, in a typical commercial cycle, we're looking for petroleum, dry cleaning solvents, and metals for maybe some type of industrial manufacturing. Uh, it takes two to three weeks and, uh, you know, a one acre parcel in town, uh, you're looking at a price range somewhere between maybe $1,500 and $2,200, depending on what the client's needs are. Uh, the larger industrial or older properties, that the, the costs, they escalate from there. Right. And you're looking there to see if there's uh, a reason to do further testing. So give us some examples of what might be common that people see and then what you're testing for. Sure, sure. Again, um, let's just say a typical out parcel mm -hmm. uh, in a suburban area near the interstate. Again, what we encounter is, is dry cleaners in the retail center because they drive traffic to the retail center. And we also see gas stations next to that out parcel that may become a, a, a McDonald's or a quick serve restaurant, etc. And what we do is just a very, uh, what we call a commercial groundwater screen where we go in and we check for volatile organic compounds in the groundwater table and just do a good baseline check of has anything come underneath the property and contaminate us from third party issues. Once you get into properties that what we call our source properties, it gets a little more complicated because you're, you're probably looking more soil and groundwater. Um, to, to develop that, that baseline footprint of what is the environmental condition of this property. And, and Robert, if someone has a, a site that they're looking to acquire and, it's at, uh, and the shopping center has a, a dry cleaners with perk there and, and they know it and, or has had that and there, there's, a service, there's a gas station close by, uh, can they save time and, and or money by saying, look, I, I need your history and everything in phase one, but let's go ahead and do some soil samples and water table or does that not happen? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. If, again, if you've got a tight um, due diligence cycle, it mm -hmm. may be prudent to go ahead and, and do some testing in the front end and get some baseline. My only caveat to that is you may have to pay to remobilize and take more samples later. So there's mm -hmm. kind of a fine line as to, hey, just go out and do a phase two, don't do the phase one versus uh, a cost savings. Yeah. Michael, I have just one very quick thing to add. There's also a legal reason for doing these, these kinds of investigations, and mm -hmm. that is the environmental statutes provide 
kind of a safe harbor provision if you follow all the rules mm-hmm. uh, in, in doing these investigations. And so I, I would recommend to listeners not to cut corners uh, if one of their interests in, in, in doing this work is to avoid liability down the road. So there's a, there's a checklist and some very specific things that you have to follow. I, I, just, I just wrote that note down on my, my page. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we had a real example of that. Um, where where uh, we bought a property from a from a from a seller that um, this property is extremely contaminated over ten million dollar kind of cleanup um, and he knew nothing about it hmm. um, when he uh, bought the property fifteen years prior to us he did do a phase one didn't turn up anything hmm. um, and was able to um, sort of have that legal shield behind him I guess what is innocent purchasers kind of defense yeah it's an all appropriate inquiries for for an innocent purchaser defense under the federal superfund statute right and it worked for him um, yeah so I mean he did it he did his he did what he was supposed to do and it, you know and it worked that's right so you can't just put I can't put my head in the sand and hope the coyote doesn't see me <laughs> <laughs> no I think the toothpaste is out of the tube <laughs> The toothpaste is out of the tube on that uh, with the regulators. They're looking for a property owner to have done their due diligence, try to identify the problems associated with the property. And if they did a good job looking and something comes up later, they've established their baseline and the regulators aren't quite going to hold their feet to the fire like they would someone that that did no due diligence. And because at that point, the the regulator is going to say, you should have looked. Why didn't you? You know, it's your problem now. You own it. You fix it. And what's the uh, potential uh, upside cost that you could have, uh, or I guess downside. How 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 could the number get to clean up a site that you might be responsible for if you didn't do the precautionary testing? It's funny. That's a question I get asked a lot by by my clients within yeah. a buying cycle. Well, hey, if this is a problem, what's it going to cost? And I yeah. say, well, if you want to spend the money to do a phase two, I can narrow this down. But right now, it's anywhere between zero and $10 million. Right. There's no limit, right? The government doesn't care if you paid a million dollars for the property, right? Not at all. Yeah. So no, it's, we don't care what you paid. That's right. It's only That's worth right. $2 million, You're going to spend $5 million to clean it. So you better better know what you're buying. That's exactly right, Michael. Yeah. Okay. I think at the end of the day, what I, what I look to do in, in our practice is I tell my clients, I'm like, look, if you want to get into the remediation business, let's know what you're getting into. Let's underwrite it correctly. And I want you to be rewarded and make money for doing it. Yeah, there could be some benefits there. We'll have more on environmental issues, this sexy subject of the day. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. If you'd like to know the absolute latest on any commercial real estate-related topics, be sure to check out our online podcasts our videos and our blogs at commercialrealestateshow.com. You'll find some great shows there like tips for using LinkedIn for business. Also updates on the major sectors, office, industrial, retail, and office. Grab your phone, tablet, or computer. Visit commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're talking about environmental issues and opportunities and challenges and solutions uh, to those challenges. And we have Adam Sawatsky here with partner with King and Spalding. Jason Linscott, a principal at Stein Investment Group, and Robert Bronner, a principal with One Consulting Group. And, and gentlemen, 
lot of times when we're we're buying commercial real estate or we're brokers we're involved in transaction and we ask for deliverables from the seller we're getting some environmental issues i mean we're getting some reports let's say there's no issues but we're getting some reports they suggest that uh you know everything's okay uh can the uh, buyer rely on that and move forward Michael, that, that's a great question. I, mm-hmm. I think the historical information is very helpful. I'd love mm-hmm. to have it on behalf of my clients, be able to review it. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, under the, the law and the way things work, if you're using uh, these investigations for the purpose of, of uh, protecting yourself from liability, the standards would say that those reports only last for 180 days. And so, therefore, the historical reports, um, again, good, great for information, but they're, they don't protect you. Uh, and you would have to do an updated report. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's like a, a value. I, I, I had a seller came to me the other day. He was proud of what he got for his property. And uh, I had told him a year before what it was worth. <laughs> and I said, whoa, he left a lot of money on the table. And he was proud he'd, he'd gotten what I told him it was worth. Well, now it was worth a lot more. So, obviously, with environmental, things could change overnight. And you don't have that innocent protection, right, that you talked about earlier? That's exactly right. And, yeah. and things can change. If somebody yeah. has been operating on the site for the last five years, there may have been, uh, in a retail setting, a dry cleaner come and gone. If you don't have the updated report, you're not going to know that. So you're really missing out on, on valuable information if you don't mm-hmm. uh, if you don't have an updated phase one. Okay. Yeah. And, and Michael, what we find with that is, you know, we're, we're looking for, when we're looking to buy a property, we want that due diligence information as soon as we can, and we want those reports. But as Adam mentioned, we don't rely on them. Um, what we're trying to do is determine, does the property have something that we're going to need to build into our purchase contract, potentially in terms of time for, a, for an inspection period so that we can maybe dig deeper, uh, literally and figuratively, um, <laughs> and uh, and figure out the environmental um, impact to what we're buying. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, we, we tell every seller, look, uh, in, in my opinion, as a broker, disclose, 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 get it all out there. Uh, they're going to find out. You don't want to, to not sleep well at night because you didn't tell them something. Let's get it out and address it. Every property is sellable, uh, and uh, every property has some hair on it you got to work through. And one of the questions, uh, Robert, that we get from from uh, investors and buyers of property is, uh, you know, if they do a uh, environmental report and due diligence up front, and then they later pick some lenders, uh, how does that work? Is their their lender going to be okay with with any environmental report they have they received two months earlier? It, it, that really varies lender to lender. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, the larger consultancies carry uh, the required insurances that the banks required, and that's really the first line in the sand. Uh, most commercial lenders require a, a two million dollar policy on your errors and emissions. And so as long as you have that, you can generally, if, if the sponsor or the borrower is strong, they can usually use their consultant. That said, uh, the, some of the larger lenders, like let's say a Wells Fargo, may have a preferred list. And so it's always best for uh, our clients to double check with their potential lenders to make sure that, that we're not uh, precluded from being able to do that work. Okay. And, in, and what kind of tips would you give uh, listeners for picking an environmental consultant I mean can I just go to the yellow pages and do this or, or the, I guess the internet and right that. right I, I'll lead quick on that I, I think it's local expertise is always great and always mm-hmm. something to look for mm-hmm. uh, an audit you know an environmental assessor or inspector in California is looking for different things than one say in Georgia or maybe New Jersey uh, a deep industrial setting I, I could throw this out to Adam because he selects a lot across the country mm-hmm. uh, and probably has a, a, a better feel for that yeah I think it's an excellent question. What I would add to that, in addition to experience, is that uh, the 
standards have a very specific list of requirements. So uh, you should check those, but under the ASTM standard, uh, you have to have a, a, a PE with three years of experience or somebody with 10 years of experience if they don't have the education. So check those requirements. Another thing that I would add um, is that you should also check your consultant's uh, contract because sometimes they'll sneak provisions uh, in those agreements um, that will let you know eliminate their liability uh, in in you know in the case of, that a problem crops up. So be careful about that as well. Another little practice tip. Yeah, that is a good tip. Yeah, and what we found is um, <clears throat> I, first of all, I, I I think first of all you start with a balance of price cost what you're getting into and. I like to kind of work with people that are a little more practical and not so academic. Mm-hmm. You know, you can find a lot of consultants, even attorneys that are just so theoretical and academic that you just, it's, it's not a fun process. So someone who's more practical and deal with what you're dealing with, understands your, the business issues you have with contract or with tenants can help you with a lease. You know, if you have a lease coming onto a contaminated property, they're going to need to help you with that. Um, construction, there's just so much to it. Um, and then I, I definitely agree with Adam on the cost. If you get, you know, phase one's pretty straightforward. It costs what it costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get into phase two and you start um, uh, drilling and, and doing uh, lab results and an analysis, um, you really got to look at those contracts because the, the cost can get uh, out of control real quick. Um, and, you know, the consultant knows the scope better than you do typically. So you really have to sort of keep up with somebody. Yeah, that's a good point. So, and I like the your point about the academic you know, environmental audit guy who's not paying attention to the business environment and the business decisions and is, you know, is not helping you through that, right? I mean, that, that can be really key. It's like a, like a lawyer, pick an environmental lawyer or any lawyer, you know, they, there's also business points and, and risk tolerances. And if you're getting a great deal on a property, uh, maybe you have a little more risk tolerance, right? That's exactly right. And I think, uh, you know, finding a partner, <clears throat> excuse me, somebody that you can work with, you know, very, very carefully through the process and mm-hmm. has your best interest in mind as well so is yeah. somebody that I'd look for. Yeah, and I, a lot of the lawyers I speak to um, will tell me, and real estate lawyers and good ones, and ask them something about environmental, and they're like, um, I'll need to get my environmental attorney on that. So it's also important that you've got somebody that's really specialized and focused uh, in, in environmental issues, right? I agree, and yeah. and there, there are specialists. I'm mm-hmm. one of those environmental guys mm-hmm. who field those calls when uh, mm-hmm. when the real estate guy can't answer the question. That's right. You wrote the book on it, right? Tell us I about did. As a matter of fact, yeah. I, last year I wrote a, a, a book on environmental enforcement and EPA mm-hmm. issues. Uh, it was published through uh, the PLI Institute in New York. Uh, the second edition of that book's coming out this fall, Michael. That's a real page turner, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't uh, <laughs> recommend reading that at night uh, unless you have uh, a lot of coffee to go with it. Well, you know, if you're involved in real estate, it's probably a fantastic book to be reading. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities and challenges, and if you don't understand them, you may, you may miss out on some opportunities. And also all the advisors out there. You know, I think, you know, we like all our brokers to understand as much as possible about the environmental issues so they can add value to the clients and know when to pull in the right guy. You know, that's right. That's right. When Jason speaks about the academic environment, there's also a regulatory environment Mm -hmm. that can get very complicated and tangled. And having worked with Adam in the past, uh, you know, he tends to be very good coming into a very complicated room full of regulatory agencies and or individuals and managing all the concerns in a a way that everyone's in a partnership 
versus button heads and, and trying to find the find the common ground and the common position for everyone. So you're not just duking it out with them, right? You're not getting to get it done, right? That, that's a good thing. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on environmental issues for you. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Florida International University. With FIU's Fast Track system, you can earn your master's in real estate in just 10 months without interrupting your career. Visit FIUonline.com to learn more. That's FIUonline.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Hey, we do appreciate hearing from you. If you have any comments or questions, reach out to us on social media, email, phone, or smoke signals, if you like. You can find all our contact information at commercialrealestateshow.com. And uh, if you're doing a drinking game, based on the times I mentioned the show website, uh, don't drive home, okay? All right, don't do that. Well, today we're talking about environmental issues, and I have Adam Swatsky with us and Jason Linscott and Robert Brauner. And um, Adam, so the regulator knocks on our door. Uh, we own we own some property. Uh, should we get it put out the, the box and do you know start boxing it out with them? What's, what's that, your tips? That would not be my advice, Michael. <laughs> as a former regulator, so just slam the door. I don't think that's a great <laughs> idea. The, the advice I'd give is the same advice maybe your grandmother might have given you as a little mm-hmm. kid. I, I think you ought to be nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, treat people like you want to be treated. Uh, the people at e, at EPA in the state, much like uh, maybe what you wouldn't think, they're human beings like the rest of us. They want to be treated. Uh, well, they're the, that way. They're the so, government, and they're here to help us. Right? Well, that's not exactly the case either, so uh, <laughs> okay. I wouldn't uh, just completely open the door to them. But I, I think uh, taking on a cooperative approach um, is the most effective. I'll give you a, a little analogy. You get pulled over on your way home from from uh, from this segment, and you get pulled over by the state trooper. state trooper walks up to your window. If... Um, you know, if you tell them where to go, uh, I, I, I'm not sure it's going to work out that well for you. And it's, it's the same way in dealing with uh, environmental regulators. Their interest is to protect the environment, but they want to see a deal go through if they can as well. So, so uh, if you are contacted by a regulator, you may want to contact uh, your council? I think that's great. Great <laughs> advice. Uh, but for the most part, I think uh, being cooperative uh, is, is in your best interest because they have statutory right to be on your property. They'll go get a subpoena and come back uh, with guys with guns. So <laughs> it, generally, uh, it makes sense, but definitely have a plan uh, beforehand of how you're going to handle those kinds of issues. And I do think it's good to get your lawyer involved uh, just in case any issues come up. Okay. Now, what do you say to the the seller? We've had some sellers of properties that say, you know what, I don't want to know what's going on on my property. I don't want you testing it. Uh, you know, don't tell me anything. I, I don't want the liability. Well, you know, what do you say to them? What we've done in the past, and I'll, again, I'll let Adam weigh in uh, on the, the legal ramifications of what I'm proposing. Uh, but what we've seen is you know, environmental due diligence is performed by uh, the buyer. Mm-hmm. We're hired. We work for them. Our work product is the buyer's work product. It's not to be shared unless we're authorized to share it. So uh, what we've been able to do with a, a sketchy seller or someone really concerned about having a regulator show up on their door is, you know, the buyer side, we do the environmental due diligence, provide it to the buyer, and they make their decision, yay or nay, to buy the property. And there's some provision in the purchase and sales contract that prohibits me 
from issuing my report to the seller unless I'm authorized by the seller. Um, I, I guess it's awareness and disclosure issues, and, and Adam, I think, can speak a little deeper to that. I, I think you can manage those issues through, through a contract. You also have to just be careful what the state law is. Uh, but in many states, uh, the owner has the obligation of, of disclosing to the state any environmental contamination. So if you don't, as the seller, give the owner the information, uh, those require, requirements are not triggered. Again, I'd check with your lawyer about that for your specific state, but, but that's the general rule. That's interesting. And another subject that, that comes up with environmental issues, and it seems to be a bigger subject than it was in years past, is stormwater uh, issues. Talk to us about that. Uh, stormwater has been uh, a growing issue over the last decade or so mm -hmm. in, in the states, mm -hmm. and EPA have been much more aggressive uh, in doing inspections. Uh, the permits are getting much more stringent. Uh, and I think uh, you can find yourself uh, subject to a tremendous amount of liability by failing to manage those issues during development. Uh, if you're not aware, under the Clean Water Act, for example, you're subject to $37,500 a day per violation. So it's, it's, it has serious consequences. Luckily, it's not rocket science. It's all things that can be managed. But you do have to manage it, Michael. And you have to understand the cost of managing it, right? That's exactly right. All right. So when you're doing this due diligence, when you're buying these sites, uh, that's something that uh, you really have to pay attention to, isn't it? Yeah. Fortunately, the cost of those assessments are a lot less than $37,500 a day. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, as well as uh, in underwriting the project uh, with the new stormwater regulations, you're seeing a lot of uh, construction around re retaining stormwater, keeping it on your property and slowing it down. Mm -hmm. Whereas a retail center just had to have an asphalt parking lot in the past. Now it may have several hundred thousand dollars worth of below grade concrete cisterns to retain the stormwater. So these are, those are business risks, right? You know, that's a big expense to a project when you're pulling $250,000 off the bottom line. Robert, I'm also seeing a big trend in green infra infrastructure, which means, um, bringing in different kinds of construction techniques like porous pavement uh, and other techniques to manage stormwater uh, and and those are, are are being incorporated into local ordinances uh, permits and other programs so please be aware of that as you get into development projects it may become material okay well we have more on environmental issues in just a moment i'm michael bull this is the commercial real estate show we'll be right back The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by RealCrowd. RealCrowd lets you invest directly into shares of cash-flowing real estate with low investment minimums and the ease of investing online. Visit realcrowd.com slash radio. That's realcrowd.com slash radio. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We have some great shows coming up for you, including updates on the major sectors, office, retail, industrial, and multifamily. Be sure to check them out. If you'd like a once-a-week email announcing the show topic so you don't miss a show of special interest to you, just visit commercialrealestateshow.com and sign up. Well, today we're talking about environmental issues, and uh, we have Adam Sawatsky here, Jason Linscott, and Robert Bronner. And before the break, we are talking about stormwater runoff issues and you know if a investor is buying an existing building it's a, a CVS it's it's rented for 25 years it's already developed that's not as big of an issue but I guess if they're doing development it's it's a big issue or if they think the real upside of the potential uh, of the property is to redevelop it one day it's an issue right yeah exactly and you know the development 
um, and what we were talking about before the break, you know, with, with stormwater, stormwater is a huge factor in development and understanding how that impacts the environmental nature of a property is important. You know, the, there are more and more um, uh, requirements or regulations for green type of development. So water infiltration, things like that into soil, uh, trying to reduce runoff. Um, you know, if you have an environmentally impacted site, that becomes a real issue because the, the local municipality might be requiring um, infiltration of water into the soil to, to help with stormwater runoff, whereas your environmental um, agency, EPD, EPA, whomever, is telling you no, no water in the soil because you have environmental issues or you're trying to manage risk for your investment. So you, you sort of have a, you have a rub there, and we've run into that situation where we have a municipality that says you have to do this and an EPD that says you cannot do this. Um, you get kind of caught in the middle. Um, you have to manage that process. Yeah, good point. Well, asbestos used to be the scary word, right? I remember I sold apartments uh, 30 years ago, and and, and, and and it kind of was really scary to people. The guys coming over in the suits, and it was, it was and people were making some big money uh, abating, uh, encapsulating asbestos. But it, that seemed to calm down. So, so what's the what's the new scare? Right, Michael. I, I think I can speak to that. Uh, for a minute, uh, it, it was thought that mold was going to be the next asbestos, but that's really turned into more of a building management and just taking care of your property concern. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some new regulations coming down the pipe. We, we hear any day they'll be enacted, but it, it's kind of in limbo to some degree between the Fed and the, the federal and state programs. But I think vapor intrusion is going to really uh, be the the next can of worms that's going to get opened up in the due diligence cycle. And what that is, is when aggressive chemicals have impacted the groundwater table or soil, um, they can come up through a building slab. They'll turn, they'll, they'll volatilize and become a vapor. And then they, they'll enter through cracks in a slab and get into the breathing space of a building. And the, the real issue right now is who's going to regulate that? It's, it's a debate whether does OSHA regulate the indoor air or will a, a state or federal environmental agency regulate that? And Adam, you might be able to speak a little more to how that's going to be managed. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be the, the next uh, asbestos. The, the, the biggest issue here um, is, is work, worker safety, uh, employee safety, um, third party, you know, potential liability. If you have a retail establishment and uh, there's, vape, you know, harmful vapors in the air, uh, are you going to be sued by your customers? And so just managing those issues, and, and, and luckily all of these issues can be managed. There are systems, and Robert, you can talk about this, there are systems uh, that you can put in uh, to remediate properties, and, and it's not that difficult to do it. You just have to be on top of it and manage it. That's right. I, I think the, the, the example would be a retail center with a former dry cleaner now has a a nail salon or maybe even a daycare within that old lease bay and then it comes to light that there's some soil contamination that's creating a vapor issue inside that property. Um, it's a whole lot easier to install these vapor mitigation systems pre-tenant rather than while the tenant's inside or during redevelopment and it's a cost and expense issue. So. To me, it's, you know, know if you have a potential vapor concern, know what your end use is and, and mitigate it before it kind of smacks you in the face with multiple parties involved with the problem. And what's that system look like? Uh, it's real simple. If you've seen a radon mitigation system uh, on a residential house, it looks very similar to that. It may just be a little more beefed up, have larger motors, but it's just, it's basically uh, some below grade piping connected to a vacuum motor attached to the roof 
and the, the, the harmful air, the potentially harmful air is withdrawn from beneath the slab before it enters the occupied space. And then it's scrubbed in a unit on the roof and discharged as clean air. Uh, it, that, that's the simple solution. And again, okay. they're tough to retrofit, but fairly easy to install and inexpensive in new construction. And sometimes okay. it may be as simple as just a, a sheet of impermeable plastic. Okay. I'm glad you clarified that. I thought vapor intrusion was my uh, office neighbor next door when he came back from eating Mexican for lunch. I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> now we all understand. Well, that's what. one form, but yeah. this, this is maybe the systems for that too. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I need your system yeah. for that. One. There you go. Uh, well, talk to us about uh, wetlands and and what the EPA is doing the, there with regulations. That's a it's a very good question, uh, Michael, and it's it's uh, something that should that everyone needs to keep an eye on. Uh, the regulations have been proposed. Uh, not sure what form they're going to finally take, uh, but the EPA has has potentially uh, expanded significantly the scope of, of what's regulated under the Clean Water Act. And what I think that's going to mean for your listeners is anybody doing redevelopment is going to have a challenge of uh, dealing with mitigating and addressing uh, wetlands impacts uh, on their properties. Yeah, wetlands is, is a strange thing, too, because, you know, sometimes when you haven't had a lot of rain, you, you might not think about it. And you've, and you've had a lot of rain, you kind of notice it, right? That's exactly right. Um, and, and so you really need a good consultant to kind of help you identify the wetlands that you have on your property and work with your lawyer to find ways to, to address the mitigation issues. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It, it's The wetlands concern has created a real issue in the the HUD-funded uh, multifamily arena with tax credit development programs and that the wetlands are just negating sites for development in that program. All right, well, stay tuned. We're going to have some tips and strategies for you to, to close the show on environmental issues. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404-832-8262. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We're talking about environmental issues today with Adam Sawatsky. Jason Linscott and Robert Brauner. And uh, gentlemen, I'd like to talk about you know, some opportunities, some uh, suggestions, some strategies, some tips for our listeners. What do you have for us, Rob? My clients that are the most successful at taking advantage of environmental opportunities uh, within on properties are ones that have their team together. They've got a, a due diligence uh, group, individuals who practice due diligence that understand the environmental conditions. They've, uh, their appraisers understand how to work with their consultant over what is the issue. The, um, the attorneys, uh, there's a well-versed language between everyone and they, they cooperate and, and as well as the uh, brokers and agents. Uh, <laughs> and, and then most importantly, uh, on taking advantage of these opportunities, get the lender involved early and, and as often as possible so that they understand this issue. And at the 11th hour, they're not trying to have to figure something out to sell to their committee. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and there are a lot of, uh, not a lot, there are some investors who actually look for some properties with some environmental issues, right? So obviously they have a team, but if, but, right. and, and if you're a developer and you're buying properties, develop or redevelop, you've got to have a team, right? I mean, you know you've got to have the right yeah. team. Yeah. I mean, the right team is really about not yeah. being afraid of the process, yeah. understanding how to manage risk, 
so that you can capitalize on those opportunities when they when they come. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that's 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 the most important thing. Uh, and really, what you're at the end of the day, what you're doing is trying to align everyone's goals. You got a seller who's worried about environmental stuff. You want to buy a property with environmental issues, and you got to manage your risk. You're going to have tenants who want to manage your, their risk. And then the, the environmental agencies want things either cleaned up or dealt with. They don't necessarily have to be removed or cleaned up. They just have to be dealt with. So everyone sort of has the same goal to get a deal done. And, and you, as the, as the developer or buyer, um, get to manage that process and, and champion it. Yeah, and you also need time to do it, right? You you got to, like you said before, maybe look at the property up front, and you know you might have a lot of competition for some properties in this market. You know, some of the urban areas will get multiple competing offers that, and they're looking at the timing. Uh, but you surely need to work that timing into your contract. And one of the ways I've seen people do that is they'll put a they'll put a short fuse on due diligence up front, but then have a a clause in the back that says, look, if I if I do find something, I have to do further testing. You know, I do have the rights to extend. In the event I see that, right? That's right. It's not like uh, trying to get a cost on a bad roof. Some yeah. of this stuff takes time to, to look at and really yeah. understand and underwrite. Right. Okay. And negotiate your way through the through the issues. Right. Yeah, and understanding which program applies to what what this situation is. Yeah. You know, understanding those programs is a big deal because yeah, you right. can you can uh, get a lot of economic benefit uh, and environmental benefit from the programs that are available. Okay. Adam, you have a tip for us? Yeah, I think a practice tip that uh, I'd want to leave your listeners with is when you run into one of these issues, take that team we just talked about and go down and meet proactively with the regulators. Again, on the timing side, don't wait to the last minute uh, to try and and get a brownfield application in um, or a prospective purchaser agreement, something that is going to need government approval. Go down there and uh, and turn that into a collaborative process. Get them working with you instead of against you. And I think that's a can be the most effective way sometimes to get through some of these complex issues. But yeah. Be transparent. Get it on the table and get get your issue worked through. Yeah. yeah that's a good tip. And and one of the things that we've uh, we've used uh, Robert's firm for environmental consulting. And the other thing is to uh, you know reach out to them in advance uh, and see what you have. I mean, you guys have done so much in the southeast that in a lot of these properties you can kind of say, Michael, you're going to need a little time on that one, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and again, if you have a good relationship with your consultant, it, we're fine with maybe doing a brief for you or, or a quick email of, hey, here's the issues you may run into with this property. Think about it within your negotiations. Well, gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate your intel. Thank you, Michael. Great to meet you, Michael. All right. And uh, you're invited to join us next week. We're going to look into foreign investment into U.S. real estate, uh, another sexy show that you don't want to miss, right? (laughs) I mean, investors uh, from all over the world are investing in the U.S. We're going to talk about it next week. So thanks for joining us today. I'm Michael Bull. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by RealCrowd, crowdfunding for institutional quality real estate. Visit realcrowd.com slash radio. Florida International University. Earn your commercial real estate master's degree in as little as 10 months. Visit fiuonline.com. And Bull Realty Commercial Brokers, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. And France Media Publications and Conferences. For exposure to the world of commercial real estate, visit francemediainc.com.